0: Hey guys, this is Eric. I'm one of the ministers here at the Robertsdale Church of Christ. I just want to say thank you for checking out this message. And I'd like to invite you to join us for worship on Sundays at 1030 if you're ever in the Robertsdale area. If you want to find out more information about the Robertsdale Church, head over to our website at robertsdalechurch.com. All right, let's get to the message. I'm praying that God will use this message to bless you and will help you grow closer to Jesus Christ. Well, on August 31st, 1986, 423 people lost their lives because of the pride of two boat captains. There was this Russian cruise ship called the Admiral Nakhimov, which was coming out of port. It was actually on one of its final trips before it was going to be retired. And coming into the port was a Russian freighter ship. The captain of the freighter told the captain of the cruise ship that he would give way and allow the cruise ship to pass through, but he never changed his course. In fact, he was headed right for the cruise ship. His crew started to get really nervous, but he kept telling them, it's going to be fine, we're going to miss them. Well, just after 11 o'clock that night, the freighter rammed into the side of the cruise ship. It ripped this massive hole in the cruise ship, and eight minutes later, the cruise ship Sank. Both captains survived the accident. Both were arrested. Both were charged with crimes. And both were sentenced to 15 years in prison because neither would yield to the other. 423 people died because of pride. As I learned about that story, it just reminded me of this truth that when pride is in control of your life, your life is out of control. I don't know how your pride affects you. I know for me, pride has kept me from asking for directions when I was lost, which happens on a regular basis because I'm so directionally challenged. But even more so than that, pride keeps me from admitting when I was wrong and it keeps me from apologizing couple of weeks ago, one of my children had done something wrong, and I was getting on to them, and I was, I was angry. I was really angry, and I got a little too loud that night, and afterward, after I sent them to their room, I'm sitting on the couch, and I, I just, I know how wrong I am. You ever been in that position before? You just sit there, and you know that what you did was wrong. I got too hot. I got too loud. I got too angry, and I know some of you are thinking, our preacher gets loud and gets angry and yells. Yeah, it happens because... Well, this lesson was for me first and foremost. And I'm sitting there and I'm telling myself, I need to go apologize. I need to say I'm sorry. But I just sat there for almost an hour. I just sat there feeling the guilt of what I had done, being paralyzed by my pride. Finally, I got up and I went into my daughter's bedroom and I just told her, I'm I'm sorry. I shouldn't have acted that way. That's on me. I'm really sorry for what I did. You see, pride not only causes our life to be out of control, but our pride diminishes us. It diminishes our ability to apologize when we're wrong. Has that ever happened to you? You knew you were wrong. You knew you had offended somebody, and you just, for whatever reason, would not say you were sorry. Or it diminishes your ability to admit that you've done something wrong. Maybe when you were younger, you got caught red-handed, like you did something wrong and you were busted. Your parents had all the evidence and they're confronting you with it and you just play the denial game. You're like, "I, I didn't do that. You didn't see me do that. And they're like, we watch you. We literally have you on security footage. Like we see the trace of you and the cookie trail all the way back to your room. Like we know you did it. We just need you to confess to it. But it also diminishes our ability to acknowledge somebody else. I don't know about you, is there that person at work that just really makes your blood boil? Doesn't happen to me. I love the guys I work with, they're awesome. Maybe for you, it's happened where like, there's that one individual that you just, I mean, you can't stand them. Like you try to love them and they require a lot of love and they just get under your skin and you're kind of rivals at work because you're around the same level and you both were going after a promotion, both going after a different position and they got it. And everybody else at your job is going up to them, they're saying, congratulations, so happy for you. And you're just sitting there, you're mad. And pride is keeping you from getting up and walking up and saying, congrats, I'm really happy for you. Our pride diminishes our abilities. But pride does some other things to us. It crowds other people out. You know, when somebody walks into a room that's full of themselves, it's hard for there to be any room for anybody else because it's all about them and you just kind of roll your eyes, you just kind of huff, you're like, well, guess what we're about to talk about? We're about to talk about that person. Pride shows up in our lives when you're talking to somebody and they share a story and as soon as they get done, you say, well, let me tell you one better and you have a story that kind of one-ups their story, that's pride talking rather than just enjoying their story. Pride shows up when we're easily offended and people have to kind of tiptoe around us because they don't know exactly how to handle us because we might just get up in arms, we might get mad, our feelings get hurt kind of easily. That can be pride talking right there. Pride shows up when there's a project or somebody needs to take charge and you're always the one to take charge because you know best. It's always your ideas that are going to lead to success. Pride can quickly crowd other people out because it's hard to be around a person that's full of themselves. But pride also crowds God out because in our pride we say, God, I got this. I don't, I don't need you. I know what's right for me. I know what I need to do. In Psalm 10, it says this. It says, in his pride, the wicked man does not seek him. In all of his thoughts, there's no room for God. And that's true, isn't it? When you're full of yourself, the last person or being you're thinking about is God himself. Eugene Peterson had a powerful quote. He said, you know, it's difficult to recognize pride as a sin when it's held up on every side as a virtue, urged as profitable and rewarded as an achievement. Isn't that true? We live in a culture that values pride, that celebrates pride, that says, it's a dog eat dog kind of world. You gotta look out for you. It's your life, it's your body, it's your dreams, it's your goals. You take care of you because if you don't get yours, Somebody else is going to get it. And so we disguise pride and celebrate it as ambition, as being driven and highly motivated where we just simply can't get enough. We got to get more and more as Jeff was talking about in our Bible class, our adult class here in the auditorium this morning. And it's just simply disguised as pride because we're never settled with where we are. We're always chasing after something, always searching for the next thing. But here's the thing. Pride promises to make us bigger and better, but it always leaves us feeling smaller and meaner. It always leaves us feeling smaller and meaner. I don't know if you know this, but pride is what starts wars. Pride is what keeps wars going where they can't come to an end. Pride is what ruins good companies. Maybe you've driven by a place and it was a place of business that was there for a long time. You go, what happened? How'd they go out of business? Most likely it was pride, a refusal to change and adapt or a refusal to give and to change the model. Pride destroys churches. Every church you've ever seen that has ever split, it's split not because of some gross sin. It's split because of pride. It's split because somebody refused to apologize. It's split because somebody refused to kind of give a little bit and to see uh, life from another person's point of view. But pride is also what tears apart marriages and families. Spouses that refuse to say, I'm sorry, or refuse to see how their spouse has changed, has different dreams and goals, seeing life from their perspective as opposed to just making life All about them. Pride is so destructive. It's what prompted the writer of Proverbs to say, what comes before destruction? Pride. An arrogant spirit comes right before a fall. And if I'm honest with you, every major failure in my life, as a child of God, as a husband, as a father, as a minister, every single one has been because of pride. So we've been in this series the last couple of weeks called Summer Playlist where we've been looking at the Psalms of the Ascent. The Psalms of the Ascent are 15 psalms that were written. They're Psalms 120 through 134. And they were written for Israel as they're making their trek from wherever they lived back to Jerusalem for the three great feasts, for Passover, for Pentecost, and for the Feast of Tabernacles. And God gave them a playlist for their road trip. And so they would sing these psalms, they would listen to them, they would recite them, they would read them together because they wanted to be reminded of God's presence with them. And we haven't looked at all 15. We're only picking five out of the 15. It was really hard to select five of the 15 because they're all amazing. And I encourage you to spend some time in Psalms 120 through 134. None of them are terribly long. They're all relatively pretty short. And they just remind us of a couple of things. Uh, Some of the things we've talked about is that repentance always begins with the decision to stop and to realize where we are and where we need to be. We talked about how God is not just present in the destination, but he's there with us in the journey. We talked about how when you don't know if or when things will change. Ask God to change you. Well, today we're going to be in Psalm 131. It's the shortest of all 15 Psalms. In fact, it's only three verses long. I mean, it takes you no time to read Psalm 131. Charles Spurgeon said that Psalm 131 is the shortest Psalm to read, but the longest Psalm to learn. It's a challenge. It's a challenge for us to put in our playlist to remind ourselves that when pride is controlling our life, Our life is really out of control. So let's read Psalm 131 together. It says, Lord, my heart is not proud. My eyes are not haughty. I don't get involved with things too great or too difficult for me. Instead, I've calmed and quieted myself like a little weaned child with its mother. I am like a little child. Israel, put your hope in the Lord both now and forever. Three verses long, that's it. But boy, some powerful lessons to learn. And it's written from a perspective of, a, of an individual who has been able to control and subdue his or her pride. And so here's three things that the Psalm points out for us that when you find your pride getting out of control, here are three things you need to focus on. The first one is your posture. Did you catch verse one? He said, in verse one, he said, Uh, Lord, my heart is not proud. My eyes are not haughty. The picture is of an individual whose eyes are not looking down on another person. But isn't that what pride does? When you find yourself living with pride and being full of pride, you're looking down on somebody else. And it's easy to look down on somebody else when you feel like you're above them. And it's a challenge for us. And so when pride becomes a problem for you, you need to check your posture. Now, I'm going to assume that you've had an experience in life where there was somebody that you were serving underneath. Maybe it was a coach. Maybe it was a teacher. Maybe it was a boss. And you felt like they felt like they were better than you. I'm going to assume at some point in your life that's happened. And so they're dishing out orders, handing out assignments, telling you to run laps. And you're like, you would never do that. You would would never do that a day in your life. You're asking me to do something that you yourself would not do because the worst leaders to follow are the ones who say do this and never say watch this because the best form of leadership is servant leadership. So the best leaders you've ever followed are the ones who lead by example, who say, hey, come help me as opposed to say, hey, go do this. It's why Jesus is the greatest leader of all time. The night of Before he's crucified, he's in this upper room with his disciples. They're actually about to observe the Passover. And before they can share the meal, Jesus grabs a towel, takes a bowl of water, hits his knees, and begins to wash his disciples' feet. One by one, he goes around the table, washing the feet of his disciples. Peter, John, Matthew, even Judas who in just a few minutes is going to leave and betray him. And Jesus takes the lowest servant's role that night. Paul, years later, would reflect on that, and he would write in Philippians 2, that Jesus took the form of a bondservant and came in the likeness of men. he humbled himself and became obedient to God, even by giving his life for us on the cross. So when you find yourself struggling with pride, check your posture because what you need to do in that moment is you need to grab a towel, you need to hit your knees and you need to start serving because it's hard to look down on someone that you have lowered yourself underneath, that you have surrendered yourself to and that you're serving them. So when you're struggling with pride, find a way to serve, find a person to bless and it will humble you. It will put you back into your right posture to remind you that you are are a servant. That's so why I would encourage you to never have, never be too far away from a towel. I remember several years ago, uh, John 13 was a theme when I was in youth ministry. One year, that was our theme. And I, I took these old nasty dish towels and I framed them and I hung them in the youth room. And it looked awful. Like it was like the worst wall art you've ever seen in your life because you, know, you want like nice looking art. Nobody want to, wants to walk in and be like, why is there an old nasty dish towel on the wall? Because those were towels that, they had used to wash each other's feet, to always remind ourselves, that's our job. Our job is to serve. Because after Jesus washed the feet of his disciples, you remember what he said, as I have done for you, go and do likewise. He set an example for us. And sometimes we've got to check our posture. We've also got to check our pursuit. The psalmist said, Lord, I'm not getting involved in things that are too difficult for me or things beyond me. And you ever found yourself kind of butting into an argument or butting into a conversation, giving an opinion that nobody asked for? You ever found yourself doing that? I have, and I'm like, why did I just do that? Nobody asked what I thought on that matter, but I did. It's like the progressive insurance commercials. Have you seen these? Where they're trying to help you not become like your parents. And there's the one that's my favorite. The guy goes to the grocery store and uh, you know he gets the buggy and he returns and he tells the guy, he's like, hey, pulls a little to the left. As if that guy cares, as if he wants to go fix a grocery buggy, Nobody fixes buggies. That's why they are the way they are. Or it's like, hey, you slice that meat really, really well. Like, okay, nobody cares. But sometimes we find ourselves doing that. You ever found yourself involved or in charge of a project or a team and the assigned task, you have no idea how to do it. You don't want to ask how to do it, but you wanted to volunteer. And now you're like, uh-oh, what am I going to do? what the psalmist wants us to do is check our pursuit. I remember I was in my first youth ministry job and we had a really small youth group. And and it was an awesome group of kids. But after a few months, all I could think about was the next group. All I could think about was God placing me at a church with a bigger youth group. Because, you know, I I wanted to serve more kids for the glory of Christ, right? It, It was It was not ulterior motives. It was not my pride talking. It was me wanting to do better and to bless more people that God had called me to. No, it was my pride. And what wound up happening is that in my desire to wanna be someone else, I wasn't as present where I needed to be. And sometimes our ambition can be disguised as pride where I want to do what's better. I want the next thing. And you find yourself in a job and all you can think about is what's next. What's the next position? What's the next raise? What's the next promotion. And what you'll find is, is that if you're always focused on what's next, you'll miss what's present. You'll miss what's right in front of you and the blessings that God is giving you here. And so it's a reminder for us that that we need to learn, as we talked about, I feel like I'm repeating half of Jeff's class. We've got to learn to be content. Jeff, that's why I didn't share too many comments on that because I knew what I was about to say. We've got to be reminded that God has planted us where we are for his purpose and for his glory and to learn to be good with where we are. And when his time comes, he will move us where he wants us to be. Because what we'll miss are all the blessings and the lessons that God is teaching us here. He's got something in store for you where you are. And when he's ready, he will move you to the next thing. In the meantime, check your pride by checking your pursuit. Is your ambition just your pride disguised as your goals? The third thing he calls us to check is our position. The psalmist says in verse three that it's like a child who's been weaned by its mother's side. Some of you in this room are parents. You remember what it's like to wean your children. I remember when my kids were real young, they both took to a pacifier and which I give thanks for by the way, because that man, pacifiers are awesome. In fact, adults, we have pacifiers. We just don't stick them in our mouth. They're just our phones and they pacify our time, right? But I remember when it was time to wean our children off of their pacifier and so what we did with both of our girls when they were at the right age is we sat down, we sat them down on the couch and we said, hey, look, listen, you're now getting to an age where we're going to have to take away the pacifier. The dentist says it could potentially affect your teeth in some capacity. And, you know, you just can't go through your life with a pacifier all the time. I mean, you can't go to high school with a pacifier in your mouth. So we're going to have to take that away. And so my, both of my girls were like, yeah, I completely understand, can totally see how it could affect my health. No, they didn't do that. You know how crazy that is. No, they cried and screamed. And so then we like gave it back for a little while because you, know, you gotta go to bed at some point and then you take it away. And then it got to the point where we would slowly hide all the other pacifiers in the house and they only had the one. And then we just cut the end off of it. And then they got so mad that they finally gave up and surrendered it, right? Because you understand if you've ever weaned something or someone, it doesn't go down without a fight. And even that little child, as they start to get a little bit older, they begin to learn this word that they've never heard their entire life. It's an interesting word. It's a really short word, but they quickly learn it's a powerful word and it's a word they don't like. You know what it is. What is it? No. And so you're walking through Walmart and there's something that they see that they want and they point to it or they grab it and you say, no, we're not getting that. So they just hang it back on the shelf. No, they throw it down. They scream, they lay down, they kick. And they're making a scene and the whole store knows exactly what's going on. And all the other parents are walking by and they're like, bless you, I'm praying for you. I know exactly what you're going through right now. All the parents, all the other adults without kids are walking by, they're going, I would never allow my children to do that. And you're like, oh, your time is coming. You just wait and we'll pray for you. And we're gonna hope that it's even worse for you since you're being so judgmental right now. And in that moment, that child is pitching a fit because they, they want what they want. It's about them. It's pride. And you know this, that just as we get older, our fits just get a little bit more tolerable. We don't lay down in the middle of a store. We just learn to throw our weight around in other ways. And what the psalmist says is that when that fight finally ends and my pride is finally surrendered and submitted... That what it looks like is an obedient, quiet child standing by his or her mother's side. It's like the family, you walked by in Walmart and you went, wow, your kids are so obedient and quiet. And they're like, yeah, today. (laughs) Kids, I'll give you the ice cream when we get home, right? That I promised you if you'd behave. That's what it looks like. That's the goal. Jesus picked up on this. I don't know if he has Psalm 131 in his mind, but do you remember when they bring the children to him? And he sits them down before him and he says, this is the goal of faith. Unless you turn and become like a little child, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. It's not that he wants us to be the child that's screaming in the middle of the aisle in the grocery store. He wants us to be a child that is willing to trust because that's what kids will do. That's willing to learn because that's what kids will do. That's willing to ask for help because that's what kids will do. When I refuse to ask for help, when I refuse to trust, when I refuse to forgive, it's because my pride will not allow me to. And so the goal of our life, even though it's the shortest Psalm to read, it's the hardest one to learn. The goal of our life is to be able to read Psalm 131 and to say about ourselves, Lord, my heart is not proud. Lord, my eyes are not haughty. I'm not getting involved with things too great for me or too difficult for me. Instead, I have calmed and quieted myself like a little weaned child with its mother. I am like a little Child. That's the goal. So I've got a challenge for you this week. My challenge for you is every day this week, before you leave your house, read Psalm 131. It's only three verses long. It will take you no time. Take you a lot of time to learn it, take you no time to read it. Every day, read Psalm 131. Make your reminder, set you an alarm, Psalm 131. Remind yourself that your pride Is working against you it's crowding other people out it's crowding God out it's diminishing you and God is offering you something far greater if you'll just surrender to him and become as an obedient child and the second thing I want to challenge you with is this week to really try to focus on living with a you first mentality it's easy to live with a me first mentality and think about what do I want what do I want to do right now what do I want to eat right now what do I need right now but instead focus on a you first mentality how can I serve somebody that I live with. How can I serve somebody else? How can I bless another individual? Even if it's as simple as holding the door open for somebody, blessing somebody financially, praying for somebody, calling somebody up that you know that's been struggling and saying, "How can I help you?" And if they say, "No, I'm fine." Say, "Well, I'm coming anyway, so you better get ready." And serve them and bless that individual. I want to challenge you. Kids, wash the dishes without parents have to ask. Having to ask, take the garbage out. Whatever those things are, Do them before you're even having to be asked to do them. Let's figure out this week, how can we live with the you first mentality and watch as God blesses us by surrendering our pride and submitting it unto the rule and reign of Jesus Christ. This morning, if you're here and you've never given your life to Jesus, it begins first by you surrendering your pride. Jesus said, if you want to follow me, the very first thing you have to do is deny yourself. That's where change always starts, recognizing I need to do something different in life and surrender my will to his. It begins with self-denial. That means you gotta check your pride at the door and surrender ego and follow Jesus because he wants to lead you to greater life where you realize serving is so far greater than being served. It is far more blessed to give than it is to receive. And then just watch as God changes you and molds you and makes you into who he wants you to be to where you get to the point that you can say things like, Lord, my eyes are not haughty. My spirit is not puffed up. That's the goal. That's what Jesus will change you into as you surrender your pride. And in the meantime, praise God that he gives us grace for the times that our pride does come up. And it does rear its ugly head, and it takes control of our life again. So this morning, if you need to repent of something, you need to you want one of our shepherds to pray with you. You want, to share some, you want us to share something publicly on your behalf. we love to help you however way we can as we stand and sing.